This is Epicenter, episode 460, with guest Amin Soleimani. Welcome to Epicenter, the show which talks about the technologies, projects, and people driving decentralization and the blockchain revolution. I'm Brian Crane, and I'm here with Frederike Ernst. Today, we're going to speak with Amin Soleimani. He's been on the podcast before. Today, we're going to talk, and he's the co-founder of Reflex Lab. We're going to talk about Reflex of the Day and the stablecoin at Rye that Reflexer creates. So... Just before we do that, briefly a word from our sponsors. So Stake Wallet is your new favorite multi-chain mobile wallet that puts the power of Web3 at your fingertips. In just three taps, you can uh, stake and manage your assets in over 22 built-in protocols, including all the major EVMs, L2s, and non-EVM chains like Cosmos, Solana, Near, and more. Stake Wallet abstracts the complexity while being fully self-custodial, so you can yeah, the yield on your crypto has never been as easy and secure. They also have multi-chain NFT support, so you can view all of your NFTs in one place and you can show your nicest NFTs uh, setting as an app background. And in the explore section, you can always find new dApps and yields and new, new things to do. And Stakewell is upgrading the app to provide more functionality. Uh, and to highlight this transformation, Stakewell is going to be renamed to Omni. So the next generation super wallet. So join thousands of users uh, on this next generation wallet by downloading it today on iOS or Android and go to stakewallet.fi, stake spelled like the meat. And uh, one more thing. So with Epicenter, we are looking to hire a community manager. So if you want to, you know, to help us grow the audience and, you know, produce better content. So if you're passionate about crypto, and uh, creating content uh, we want to hear from you um, you can find a link for applying in the for the uh, position in the show notes and yeah if you know somebody else you think might be a good fit just uh, share it with them and we'd love to hear from you and with that Amin thanks so much for coming on it's great having you yeah it's great to be here so I was I was listening to this long three hour discussion uh, the other just today I think I finished it today about tornado cash and you know all those things and I heard you in there too sort of you know speaking a little bit the the voice of you know pure uh, crypto decentralization you know I think there's a lot of other voices in there as well um, I guess that sort of ties maybe a bit into reflexer too but. I don't know, maybe we can have like a brief background from you, like, you know, who are you? How did you get into crypto? And then sort of how did that end up with you working on Reflexer? So I got into crypto, uh, like many people buying mushrooms on the Silk Road a decade ago. Uh, I lost all my money in Mt. Gox sometime after that. Uh, I learned Solidity, joined Consensus, worked on Ethereum, smart contract stuff built some advertising stuff, some micropayment stuff, payment channels, state channels, uh, eventually started Spankchain, was trying to bring the crypto, blockchain, Ethereum, micropayments tech to porn um, and adult sites. And then later started Reflexer, uh, which makes the stablecoin Rye a fork of uh, MakerDAO's DAI, 
so that it would stay sort of ETH maximalist. Also helped start DAOs, started Moloch DAO back in the day, um, made Meta Cartel Ventures in the Lao code base, uh, and so helped build some of the early early DAOs. Really generally excited about furthering uh, tools for people to maintain sovereignty, have access to financial services, be able to s- store money, transact um, privately, securely. I don't know how this made me the poster child of decentralization in that last three-hour conversation uh, that we had. Uh, it was a Twitter Spaces hosted by Jill Gunther and her, I think, company like Espressosis is like a privacy thing. So there are some representatives from that on it. Uh, Zuko was there. There's bunch of people, uh, I mean, Zuko is obviously much, you know, he's an actual cryptographer. He's a veteran of the space. Uh, I think I was just the angriest and loudest person on the call, uh, because tornado was kind of personal for me, uh, helping with Moloch Dow. We gave tornado their first grant. Uh, I knew the people doing it, you know, I like them. I'm not happy that one of them is sitting in a jail cell right now. Uh, it's not great. So. I was very angry. Uh, I was just expressing that um, on the call. Uh, I think obviously this stuff has far-reaching implications. Uh, a lot of the conversation has moved not only from privacy to also the implications of like censorship and uh, stable coins having censorable collateral and stuff like that. And so, you know, I've I've been able to contribute in multiple places in the discourse. Stablecoins having sensible collateral. Um, that sounds like Maker, um, the other poster child of decentralization in this space, which kind of, which is an image that has kind of fractured over th- the tornado um, fallout a little bit. Um, I really want to talk about this at length, but before that, I think we kind of need to cover our bases here and kind of understand how Rai works and how it's different from Maker. So maybe I think most listeners will be familiar with how Maker works and Rai builds on a lot of ideas from Maker. So more specifically, the first version of Maker, what's now called Sai. Um, so c- can you talk maybe a little bit going from there and what, you know, talking about the point where you chose um, to go on a different path than Maker. Yeah, so I was a big Maker fan, Die fan, all through 2018, 19. Uh, couldn't get bank accounts. Uh, and so Die was a really great resource for us to be able to not lose all of our money in ETH uh, during the bear market. Back then, I liked it as like cypherpunk money. It was like, you know, only backed by ETH. There's not a lot of governance. Uh, it just kind of works. Um, uh, the, the motivation to fork, uh, came, uh, later in 20, I think 20, when they started adding other forms of collateral, they went multi-collateral. So they, they started loading up on USDC, uh, and they started, uh, doing a lot more governance. And so I wanted to see what the sort of pure, uh, decentralized sort of stable coin could work like. And so we forked off of, uh, multi-collateral die and we made Rai. Rai has only a single form of collateral, just raw ETH uh, that it, it accepts, uh, and uh, you deposit the ETH in fairly the similar way to mint Rai, the same way you might mint Dai. Uh, the key difference between Rai and Dai is that in order to maintain stability without having 
centralized collateral like USDC, which allows people to short die against USDC easily and keep die at the peg. Rai uh, uh, allows uh, the system to have negative interest rates. Now, that's not like a negative interest rate where you lose money. It doesn't turn your $100 into $99. The way it works is that it changes the actual peg price. So in all of the other stablecoin systems, they have a peg price of $1. Rai says, well, actually, we're going to make it less than a dollar. Uh, and this is a way to incentivize people to sell it. And so it does so gradually over time, and it uh, expresses the, the rate at which it will do so. Uh, and that's called the redemption rate, which is shorthand for the rate of change of the redemption price, which itself is like the peg. I, I feel like maybe before we get into like the exact mechanics of Rye, maybe it would be worth to speak a little bit because you, you said, you know, there was like two points, right? Basically that, you know, bothered you. One was there was, it became multi-collateral, right? And today I think it's something like 70% is, you know, like USDC, right? In, uh, in Maker. And the other thing was like the governance. Can you talk a little bit, maybe like why did you think those were big issues and you know a little bit like sort of the the vision uh that you saw for rye uh you know sort of like as opposing maker yeah so the the two issues right the the multi-collateral and the governance um so at the time it didn't seem like multi-collateral and like the USDC inflow was going to be that bad. Uh, right now, it's really bad. Uh, right now, they've like 20% crypto collateral and like 80%, you know, USDC and USDC derivatives. So it's not entirely unfair to call DAI like a USDC condom. Uh, you know, I, I do that. I thought it was a safe way to use USDC, you know, like friends don't use, let friends use USDC unprotected. Um, We'll, we'll come back to whether or not that's that's still the case, but uh, the the censorability of the collateral is an issue because if, for example, the USDC has to freeze the DAI contract or all of the DAI contracts, then everybody holding DAI has to, you know, is kind of stuck. Uh, they they need they don't have a way of getting their money back, um, and the people who have ETH in the system are also kind of stuck uh, because they don't have a way of like paying back their debt. So. It's not great for the system. Uh, the governance stuff is also uh, something that we wanted to improve on. A lot of the governance comes from having multiple forms of collateral, needing to manage the different kinds of collateral and, and how you you know assign risk to each one, what's the stability fee, etc. But another thing that you do with the governance is you like vote to set interest rates. So whenever DAI is not stable, a bunch of people get together in a meeting and they say, we will raise the stability fee to something higher, for example, uh, if the die is below peg. You know, so they did this before, die went below peg to like 95 cents, and then they raised the stability fee to like 20% and then die repegged. So the thing that Ride does that's cool is it automates this process. And zooming out to like the vision of this thing, the vision of this thing is like, we want international cooperation on a reserve currency. Uh, this has not been my goal for that long. It's actually been a stated goal of the central bankers of the earth uh, who have thought about this for a long time. The way that they make progress on this is they write papers. Uh, in Ethereum, we can do more than writing papers. 
we can test things. And so Rye is a demonstration of a system that has a transparent rules-based engine to uh, stabilize itself that isn't necessarily dependent on a group of people to go and figure it out. Maybe let me let me let me loop in here. So um, Maker, in its original design, also, if I recall correctly, had had um, um, had a target rate feedback mechanism, and they ended up not implementing this um, in uh, and 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 it basically ended up introducing this governance uh, based parameter. Do do you know why that happened? Uh, yes. So basically, it was a political thing, and it seemed at the time that the dollar peg was more palatable uh, and would get more adoption than letting it float. It was like it was a little too weird. Uh, I don't know if people remember at the time. Like I was sending twenty dollars of ETH when ETH was twenty dollars as like pizza money. Uh, the existence of something like DAI was a, a, a great uh, innovation because it was the first stablecoin ever that Ethereum people could use to even transact, like using a, a not volatile asset. But yeah, uh, the, the the original design had the TRFM target rate feedback mechanism. That was Nikolai, the technical co-founder's plan was not to peg it. Uh, it 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 seemed he lost the political battle and that the, the pragmatists were more interested in having a dollar peg because that would help growth. Uh, and so Maker never really had to deal with this problem of trying to force people to not hold DAI uh, or sell their DAI if the, you know, uh, if the price uh, of DAI was above the peg. And USDC was also introduced later, right? It wasn't one of the early collaterals introduced a couple of years ago when prices fell pre precipitously um it looked like the entire system might collapse at some point and that's when they introduced the usdc collateral right yeah so it was right around black thursday i think march 12th 2020 uh eth crashed a lot i think 50 percent in 24 hours and die spiked up and in order to deal with the excess die demand, they added the peg stability module, which allows you to mint uh, die against USDC. And so that was how they were able to lower the price of die uh, by adding the USDC. Now I've made memes where I have like Maker uh, introducing the USDC as like a Trojan horse for Ethereum, right? Uh, and it's like the caption is like, where did it all go wrong? And it's like that day. Uh, is when it all went wrong. It didn't seem like it was going to go all wrong from there. Uh, and, you know, it, like it didn't seem obvious that we were going to end up at like 80% USDC and die uh, from that point. But it, for me, it was enough to want to try something different and to try and see how far we could get with Rye. Let's have um, let's continue this uh, discussion after the technicalities, Brian. If you don't object, because basically in the maker in the maker forum, um, there's also discussion currently going on that was started last week by Rune um, about whether you know to kind of make die also free float. So basically, this is kind of I think there's a, a larger discussion to have uh, to to be had here. There's a couple, yeah, discussions, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so. Um, Let's kind of, before we kind of look at the exact feedback mechanisms, um, kind of 
may I give you my idea of how rye works and you can correct me because it's, it's, it's a very counterintuitive and, um, a little weird mechanism, uh, to be honest. So basically if, if it goes off pack and the pack is arbitrarily chosen, so it's not one US dollar, but you started at pi dollars to kind of, to, to, to kind of, uh, make everyone understand that this is super arbitrary. Um, and then, Basically, the, the, the mechanism that is behind it kind of tries to push back, um, the market price to the redemption, uh, price at any point in time, no matter where the, uh, redem redemption price currently is. And the way that it d does it is it doesn't move the redemption price closer to the market price. It moves it further away, which is a little bit counterintuitive. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So the market price, so, so the, the things happen in like the sequence, right? It could be like, uh, the price of ETH goes down, you know, uh, the price of, uh, people buy rye to cover their, their debt, right? Now the price of rye is higher. Uh, and so, well, the price of rye being higher, you need to get people to sell the rye, uh, or you need to get more people to mint rye, uh, and, and sell it. The way the protocol does that is it moves the peg price down away from the market price, as you said. So if the market price starts out at, you know, let's say $3 and the, uh, and, and it's at equilibrium at $3 and it goes up by, you know, let's say 5% or something that's like $3 and I don't know, uh, 1%, 3 cents or 15 cents. Uh, well, that's a lot. Uh, and so that's going to set a negative rate. And so what's going to happen next is that the peg that started at $3 is actually going to start dropping 299, 298, uh, at a specified rate. And so this is going to create the incentive for people holding rye to realize that they should sell it because in the future, uh, not only is the price going to go lower, but if the price goes lower and they don't sell it, then the price is going to go lower faster. So it's kind of an exponential function that you're throwing in front of this thing. Uh, and it's basically like, you know, will keep growing until it resolves. My question on this. So, so the price is at 315 and now this redemption, now it's already different, right? From this peg, right? So the peg was at with three and it, but it's trading at 315 and now it's decreased to 298. I mean, why, um, why do I, believe that the price in the future is going to go down uh, because the um, peg price is lowered? Um, well, if it doesn't, it's going to keep going down faster. So like you might stare at, uh, you know, negative, I don't know, something like 30% rate if you have a 5% difference. Uh, and that's sort of what it's tuned. It's like one to six, one to seven in terms of like 1% uh, error will drive a six or 7% uh, you know, rate. And so like, let's say you're staring at a negative 30% rate. Well, you know that as soon as the price goes back to three or you know whatever the new redemption price is, that the rate's going to go away. But so long as it doesn't, that rate's going to keep growing and the price is just going to keep dropping. And uh, this is a good deal if you have minted rye and you're shorting rye. Uh, because for me, as somebody who's shorting rye, my debt is shrinking, which is sort of the same thing as making money. Uh, as a rye holder, uh, 
you know, maybe I have the expectation that the market price won't catch up to the redemption price. But if it does, uh, then I stand to lose a lot of money. Uh, and the way the system's designed is that the rates just keep getting stronger if it doesn't. So it's it's sort of like, you know, don't fight the Fed. We have our own version, which is the money God always wins. Uh, you can hold the price, you know, high or low if you want for a while. But the end result is just going to be that the net change in the redemption price, uh, you know, the, the peg is going to move even further against you when you try to hold the market price. I still someplace. don't totally understand how the redemption price being lowered forces the market price to get lower. So it creates an expectation that the price of lie will be rye would be lower in the future. But why? Because the rate is negative. And so you either, well, you either expect that the market price will catch up to the redemption price or you don't, right? Uh, if you don't, you will just be educated uh, because the market price will eventually catch up to the redemption price because the money got always wins. Uh, because at some point the rates are so strong that somebody's going to take it. Right. Let's say you ignore the rates. Let's say you you hold all the, the rye. Let's say you're the one who bought up rye to 315, right? 5% above the peg, right? Now you get to sit there and wait as the, <laughs> the redemption price gets lower and lower. And so at first it was, you know, a 5% error. Then if rye goes down, the redemption price goes down another, you know, 15 cents. Now it's a 10% error. And so now that rate that was 30% is now something like double that, you know, something like 60%. Uh, and that process only takes like with the current pro like controller tuning only like a month or two uh, to fully offset a gap in the market price by the uh, same gap in the redemption price. So you're staring at the rates doubling in something like, you know, uh, a month or two. And if the initial rates <laughs> didn't work, maybe the the stronger rates will. Right. And that process doesn't stop. Uh, until the market returns to equilibrium. So you can take the trade, you just might not like how it goes. You know, it's, uh, in other words, uh, if you're trying to manipulate the price of rye, it should be expensive for you. Um, if you are trying to cause the redemption price to go up or down, you have to do something that the market actually punishes you to do. And so everyone else who is aligned with stabilizing rye back to its redemption price stands to make money and you would lose money because at some point in the future, if, you know, rye, the market price does eventually go back to, you know, 285 or whatever the final uh, redemption price is, like you just lost that whole delta as a rye holder. So. Yeah, I believe that. I have no problems believing that. I think that works. It's kind of like a gyroscope that kind of writes itself, right? So basically it wobbles more and then it wobbles less. So I think I, I think I buy that part. The thing that I don't f fully understand, I mean, um, is, I mean, you have oracles built in, right? So basically clearly the, the, the protocol cares about the price ratio of ETH to the US dollar. Um, so how, so basically it clearly cares about that ratio, albeit not the value itself. So in as how much um, does this mean that uh, that the US dollar is, is still influences the system, right? So basically it's not 
pegged to the U.S. dollar, but it is somehow correlated, right? Yeah, this is the thing we've also learned is that Rye referencing the dollar still makes it a dollar-denominated asset. You know, it has the ability to float away from the dollar, go up ten percent, twenty percent, fifty, you know, or down uh, the equivalent. Um, but it still is subject to the esoteric dollar swings in the market, right? If the dollar by itself one day became stronger or weaker, uh, that would you know somewhat reflect in the uh, rye uh, trajectory, right? It won't uh, it won't show up in the rye market price probably as quickly, but uh, it'll you know if 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 the dollar is strengthening, rye might weaken against the dollar. If the dollar is weakening, rye might strengthen against the dollar. Okay, so basically, if you look at the um, the decline of the rye price from three point one four dollars to currently two dollar ninety or so, um, that would that would reflect um, a um, a strengthening of the dollar and weakening of the ETH price, right? You have to be really careful to explain rye in macroeconomic uh, terms because rye is so small that the incentives for rye holders are typically vastly greater than any sort of macroeconomic incentives. For example, the greatest price change in rye happened in the first three weeks, uh, and it was sort of we effectively sponsored an attack on our own system by offering FLX incentives to rye uh, ETH LPs um, without requiring any sort of minting uh, requirement, which now most of our uh, liquidity incentives require is that you also mint the rye that you're LPing. What we inadvertently did in the first three weeks was uh, basically pump millions of dollars into uh, holding, you know, for people to hold rye uh, by offering incentives for the LPs. And so people minted some rye some people initially did and then the rest of them went and they bought rye off the market to lp it and then somebody else comes along buys that rye off the market to lp it uh and they all you know uh pumped up the price of rye i think like 10 12 13 percent above the peg uh so it started at 3.14 it was like 3.3 you know uh at some points and then uh it, it took us three weeks to figure out how to fix that and then once we fixed the incentive, uh, the, 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 you know, to require mint, it went back to flat. Uh, the flat uh, was around $3 at that time. So um, much of the, you know, about 5% of, of uh, the, the rye redemption price, uh, uh, the rye redemption price lowered by about 5% in those three weeks because the rates were like negative 70. Uh, the, the controller was also a little bit stronger. And, we to to be absolutely clear, like we thought that people were being irrational in in doing that, but it turns out because some of those people, you know, FLX opened at whatever a thousand when it did, uh, they were sort of being rational in that they were able to like play their Ponzi game and like exit the LP for some of them before you know the the price of Rye declined and the you know the FLX that they were able to get was more than that, so. Long story short, uh, we're learning to be more careful about how the incentives can warp the you know, perceptions of how the system is working. Uh, to most people who are using it, it they, they sort of know this. Uh, but to somebody who's on the outside, you could very easily look at it and be like, ah, oh, it's the dollar. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, I see. So basically, you kind of you screw, screwed it up with your own incentives. But in a way, the market does this for you all the time, right? So basically, if you actually have to rely on fairly sensitive market feedback, kind of the, all the externalities that you can't price in um, kind of have an effect on you anyway. So for instance, currently, um, if, if you hold ETH, there are fairly lucrative things you can do with it at zero risk. So basically kind of stake it, for instance. And that gives you like a guaranteed, even if you liquid stake, gives you like a guaranteed like four or five percent. Um, so basically, if you have anything less, if you stand to make anything less than that, does your mechanism still work or is it kind of screwed by that? So I don't think any of these things screw the mechanism. Uh, to be totally clear, Rye works with a negative 20% rate forever. Rye works with a plus 20% rate forever. Rye works with, you know, 0% rate forever. Like, okay, fair. But, but I mean, is it attractive to use? Yeah, uh, that's a different question. Um, because, you know, you could... Uh, attractive to who is, is a good question, right? So like... For people who have ETH and who ha have the opportunity to, you know, get liquid staking returns of whatever, four or five percent, as you said, uh, they would possibly need, you know, more incentive to mint Rye. Uh, and so the existence of staked ETH in the ecosystem and the fact that Rye does not accept staked ETH as collateral creates an opportunity cost for anybody depositing ETH into the Rye system. And so that makes it so that they might want to get paid more to do so. And so they might prefer a negative rate. Uh, it, in this sense, Rye is very like farm to table uh, in terms of its stability. Like, you know exactly where your yield is coming from. Like your yield is coming from the Rye holders who are paying you to mint, a, you know, Rye against your ETH. Uh, if the rate is higher, that means the ETH depositors are demanding more or, or if the rate is more negative, right? Uh, and if the rate is positive, that means the you know ETH uh, depositing Rye minters are actually paying to mint Rye. So it balances the supply and demand for the asset itself. Yeah, I, I understand. I mean, I understand that basically it doesn't make or destroy money. I totally get this. It's a conservative system in that in that sense. But basically, on the flip side, it means currently you have to pay like 14.5% to actually hold Rye, which seems unattractive to me. So who, who are the people who actually hold Rye? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. And Rye's market cap has obviously shrunk a lot. Uh, having it, you know, only backed by ETH means that uh, when ETH goes down, your economic bandwidth is also reduced and, you know, the market cap sort of shrinks uh, necessarily. Um, there's about 15-ish million Rye outstanding. Uh, the people holding it are typically either LPing it or DAOs that want to be holding it. Uh, DXDAO was, until recently, one of the largest holders, but the negative rates, you know, uh, caused them to sell. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's it's not going to be like Rye isn't going to be friendliest towards the largest group of people. It's going to be friendliest for the people who care the most about decentralization, right? So it's if you if USDC works for you, if you're not worried about you know blacklisting or having your collateral blacklisted, then like you know USDC or Dai 
could work for you. If you care a lot about, you know, uh, the, the collateral type and you also want to, to know, ex- like have some degree of predictability in the trajectory, then Rye might be for you. So we mentioned, or Federica mentioned, or I think you both mentioned staked ETH. I guess accepting staked ETH as collateral would undermine a, a bit, right? This sort of trustlessness nature, no, because you, you're going to have like some dependency on our Lido DAO and stuff. But of course, at the same time, it would make it like much more attractive to like mint try. Is like, how do you think about that? Is this something that like you feel like definitely not or maybe at some point? We used to think about that. Now we don't think about that. Uh, we already froze all of the collateral, so Rai can only ever be backed by ETH. Uh, we actually can't change that anymore. Um, I think it ETH is good collateral. Uh, it might not be good for what we're trying to do with Rai, which is just try to minimize the surface area for attacks. And like having staked ETH as a collateral type makes it, you know, you somewhat have to be dependent on Lido's governance, like working well and them not screwing anything up or having any sort of like attacks or hacks or existential, you know, threats. Um, whereas when you only use ETH as collateral, you have the, you know, as long as Ethereum's working, seemingly it'll be okay. Um, so less dependency. Uh, of course, it could drive more growth. Um, personally, I think that. Uh, a better opportunity is to just make more Rye-like things. Uh, I don't think that Rye will be the last Rye-like thing. I think for Rye to work, uh, there will be more Rye-like things. Uh, and by Rye-like things, I just mean stable coins that aren't necessarily pegged to the dollar. Stable coins that have mechanisms that stabilize themselves. Whether their controller works exactly like Rye's or not is sort of an optimization problem you know, you deal with later. Uh, once you've already decided to not have a peg, that's already, you know, the first step. So I think there could be more Rye-like systems. We might even help launch them uh, or contribute to launching them um, on other, you know, even on layer twos that have like staked ETH and more forms of collateral. Um, it was it was pretty expensive to have lots of forms of collateral on Ethereum last summer too, because the gas was so high and you need to spend gas for all the price feeds and things. Yeah. So w- one thing I'm I'm curious about about you know with regards to the Rye price, right? So Rye price started at 3.14, now it's 2.92 uh or something like that. It, like in the long run like what would I mean could it go to $1 or $5 or like in in what would determine that? Like if, if let's say if I was like Someone is like, I want to hold, you know, some assets in, you know, like a crypto stable coin. And, you know, I I would like to have it there for like five years and, you know, not have to worry about it. And maybe, maybe if the dollar, like, I don't know, hyperinflates at some point, probably not going to happen in the next five years, but at some point, I guess, Uh, you know, I'd like not that to happen with, you know, I would like to be protected from that. Is is right solution for this? I would say it depends. Uh, stability is really in the eye of the beholder. Uh, if you think that like in five years, the dollar is still a dollar, then like you're going to want dollar stable coins. 
it's uh, rye is weird for me because people are like i don't get it i don't understand it's like long-term price trajectory you know and i'm like i perfectly understand it's long-term uh you know price trajectory i just don't understand the intermediate market uh things that might have to happen to to move it around like i can perfectly predict what the rye redemption price will do from the market activity right if you want to make rye a dollar that's easy simply hold it above the peg for a couple of years and it'll get there you know it'll devalue itself 30 percent, 40 percent every year we had this funny conversation on twitter where i was like should we rebase rye to a dollar right vitalik thinks so a couple other people chimed in and, and they they think so eric wall was mad at us he was calling rye autistic money and we were like yeah well you know what we are autistic and we can stay autistic longer than you can stay retarded so uh, you know, what's the argument for not rebasing rye to a dollar? Why didn't we start it at a dollar in the first place? Right. Uh, and, and the, the, the point is that rye is not mean reverting. It doesn't actually care about what it's like initial starting point is. So, uh, what might happen if rye started at a dollar is that it could like drop to 95 cents and then people would buy it because they think that that would make it, it's supposed to go back to a dollar. It's a dollar stable coin. And like, that's not how it works. In fact, by buying rye, you know, uh, <laughs> at 90, like if the redemption price is 95 cents, like you might make it go down faster. So rye is designed, uh, once again, to, to, to like be predictable in terms of how it responds to the market. Um, and so if over five years you think, you know, the, uh, like the market is just like always above the, the, the rye market's always uh, above the peg, then the redemption price always going to go down uh, and it's going to you know slowly devalue. In the flip side of that, let's say we get to the hyperinflation scenario. People like to talk about this. Uh, the thing that I would expect to happen is that rye would roughly be uh, in equilibrium with the rates in the ecosystem to borrow against Ether. So I would be surprised in the hyperinflation scenario where we expect do like the dollar to drop, you know, 50, 75, whatever percent over the course of a year, maybe more, if the rates to borrow die weren't like 10, 20, you know, the stability fee wasn't like 10, 20%, because in Ethereum, it should depeg, right? Uh, they should have to raise the stability fee to uh, keep die from depegging. And likewise, you know, Everywhere else in the ecosystem, we should see like pretty high uh, borrow rates uh, against Ether for dollar-denominated assets. So I would expect Rye to roughly be in equilibrium with those dollar-denominated uh, the, the debt rates, uh, debt interest rates. So is that going to completely offset hyperinflation? I don't think so. Uh, would it somewhat offset hyperinflation? Seems possible, maybe even likely. Okay, good, but... Like, you know, you said sort of like, okay, you know, Rye reflects the, this, the market of, of Rye and the trading and, but like, let's say in, in the, in the example I made, like, okay, I just want to have some sort of decentralized crypto, you know, stable coin. Like I have no idea of like, are people going to be, is it going to be above the peg, below the peg? Like, like uh, zero clue, right? No interest in it either. Right. Maybe I just want to hold this thing. So th then that seemed. That seems to, I mean, because if you actually look at the price chart since Rise existed, it looks pretty good, right? It looks pretty stable, right? It's basically been like, okay, 3.1, 2.9, doesn't matter, right? Like that's close enough, like over, over an extended time. But of course, if you then say like, oh, maybe it goes to the dollar or like, you know, then that, that's like a very different matters. 
so I'm like wondering a little bit about that of like how well it like serves because in the end people still want that kind of predictability with a stablecoin right they want to know that it's going to be worth even maybe it's relative to the dollar let's ignore the hyperinflation scenario but they want to know that kind of okay a year from now it's worth a similar amount i think that's like the fundamental goal of like all currencies ever right is that like you want them to be stable relative to like your purchasing power you know, or like the, the stuff that you buy regularly you know your toilet paper and cheeseburgers and that's like why we set up this consumer price index to try and track it and like that's what our inflation metric comes from um like the the short answer is that like if you only want to check on rye every five years it's probably not set up right for that for you right now um it more it, because of the response time of the controller being on the order of like a few months uh you kind of have to pay attention to it with a little bit more frequency than that um there are other controller setups that you could do that change the rate much more slowly that could be more friendly for people to only check in every couple of years uh, for example um the cool thing about rye is that in the meantime it tells you exactly what it's going to do so like um, it's not like the fed it doesn't bluff you know, when the rye has a certain rate, it does what it says, right? So if you can pay attention to it, you know, it's it's fairly easy to follow the instructions and do what it tells you to in the sense that when the rates are positive, it's saying, hello, if you hold rye, you know, you'll probably make some money and help, like, hello, if the rates are negative, like if you sell rye and wait and then buy it back later, like you also might make some money, you know? the protocol makes very clear to add it's not financial advice to tag to all of the protocol statements but uh you, you get the idea <laughs> so so i mean maybe let's talk about the things that are still governed right so basically there's the flx token that you touched upon briefly earlier um and you just said that you made it firmly mm, single collateral so basically no other forms of collateral can ever be introduced for this form of rye so what does flx currently actually govern yeah flx governs a couple things it governs the controller parameters the oracles um and like a couple other sort of just infrastructure pieces like the gas oracle for the pinger bots you know to to make sure that the price feeds are updated um we like to we have this meme called ungovernance Right. And the, the idea is that we just want to progressively remove governance over aspects of the protocol. Uh, we want to do this to make it harder for people to mess with it, including ourselves. Um, we also just want to have fewer meetings, fewer moving parts, uh, fewer opportunities for you know, human corruption. So we want to take uh, we want to automate the controller as much as possible um, so far. You know, we don't update the rates directly. We only update the parameters that automatically update the rates. And so we're able to have the controller discussions, you know, more more slowly. Like we've run this thing in production for a year and a half. Uh, we ran it in P-only form for a year. Then we added the integral controller uh, about six months ago. We just, you know, published our results of that experiment. We're trying to figure out what to do next. Um, so we're still in the process of figuring out how to design the controller so that we can not mess with it for a really long time. 
and we're learning what what that means to us uh, because the ultimate goal is to remove control. Um, re the price oracles, the system depends on Chainlink, which is not quite decentralized, uh, and we are adding backup oracles that uh, rely on on-chain TWAPs uh, that we could quick switch to easily through the governance. So we have a sort of like Oracle whitelist uh, and then you could switch between the oracles quickly, but adding something to the whitelist takes a long time. Yeah, but the, the goal of all of our meetings is to have fewer meetings. So we discuss the things that we want to remove control over, and then we progressively remove control. And as how much is the FLX token like the MKR token? So basically the MKR token kind of acts as a lend of last resort, right? So does FLX have a similar mechanism? Yeah, FLX has that mechanism built into. Uh, if you know Rye becomes under collateralized, then uh, in the same way that Dai would, uh, they both basically become algo stables, uh, backed by printing their governance token uh, until their reserves are met. But hopefully, neither one goes under collateralized, uh, you know, too much that that's a, a big problem, and there aren't people to step in to, uh, you know help bounce the books so is is there is there also a revenue side to FLX? yeah it's the same as maker it does a buyback and burn of the tokens with the surplus once it exceeds a certain threshold in the surplus treasury of the system uh, make sure that it has enough money to pay for bots uh and and everything the protocol makes money from stability fee and liquidations and how is the stability fee set Because in, in Maker, that's a, that's some sort of committee, I think, you know, that does this. Yeah, we just set it to, I think, 2%. Uh, I think it's it might be locked in forever. Uh, the goal is to not change it. Uh, we don't actually want to change the stability fee. The stability fee is supposed to reflect the risk of the collateral. Uh, Maker sort of uses it as a monetary policy tool. Uh, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, the redemption price is, well, obviously I think that the redemption price is better to use for that. And having two knobs is not great uh, to, to, to do that. So you just fix one of the knobs, uh, the stability fee, and then play with the other one. Yeah, but I mean, Maker did the exact converse, right? They also only have one one knob because they fixed the redemption price to one dollar. So basically right. it's kind of like, yeah. So it's, Maybe it's, we should talk about that. <laughs> It's to me, it's exactly equivalent in terms of basically how much control you have over the system. Hmm. Why did Rune propose that they don't peg die to a dollar anymore in the forum last week? Interesting question, I mean. Yes, tell us, I mean. That's a really good question, I mean. Why don't you answer your own well, question? Well, maybe for people who haven't read their post, maybe, uh, maybe uh, can either of you give some context about like, you know, what was written in the post and. Yeah, sure. Uh, so basically this tornado cash USDC sanction, uh, so, so when tornado cash was sanctioned, USDC also went and froze all the USDC in those contracts that made a little bit of a wake up call for everybody else who has USDC in their contracts, uh, that could potentially be censored or, you know, frozen. Um, and, and die has, I think the most, it's like 6 billion USDCs or something like that. Right. So, uh, Rune looks at this and is like, huh, we need some way of reducing our exposure to USDC. 
and he looks at the knobs and he concludes that the most effective knob that we have to use is to actually reduce the redemption price over time slowly. Now they could, of course, they don't need to use our sort of target rate feedback mechanism. They could just manually set like a negative half percent rate to start with or 1% rate to start with, right? Uh, and that could apply to, you know, all the die. And then what that makes it is that it's a less attractive, uh, you know, for, for you to mint potentially against USDC. Um, or, uh, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's one of their tools to, to reduce the die demand and to reduce the USDC driven die demand. Uh, and so in the aftermath of this, it's been pretty funny because Nikolai has been there uh, in the forums and the, in the discord and I've been there and it's like really funny because Rye, which was sort of, uh, shit on, or, you know, uh, thought to be this like stupid thing that no one should care about is like the whole research plan for their future. Right. Uh, like had we not done Rye, like everyone would be sitting there twiddling their thumbs uh, thinking, Ooh, negative rates. Like, what do we do? Uh, no one's done it before. It sounds scary. I don't know. Right. But because we've done negative rates, even in, you know, the simplified, uh, PI model, uh, that we, we did it, it's like, at least there's an example, uh, that you can point to and, you know, look and, and, and see something that for the most part works to stabilize, uh, and use that as a direction. And, and this sort of reflects the like three phases everyone goes through when they, when they encounter Rye. They start out and they're like, man, Rye, this thing is weird. Uh, I don't know how it works. I don't want it. I'm, I like the dollars. And then they learn a little bit more and they're like, oh, I get it. Uh, it stabilizes itself using the peg like that. That kind of makes sense. But it's also like kind of small and weird. And I don't know if I, I want it. And then they learn a little bit more and they're like, I finally understand why the system is designed like this. And I don't understand why everything isn't designed like this. <laughs> uh, and that reality seems to be coming true with Dai. Uh, Dai, you know, they bit the poisoned apple of USDC and now 80% of it is USDC backed and they have to decide what to, what to do about it. Um, the, it's, it's almost a civil war because all the people who have jobs that depend on the USDC and the RWA stuff like are going to try to keep the system that way. Uh, and so I don't know how this is going to unfold, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm definitely on team decentralist, which is about, uh, trying to reclaim monetary sovereignty for die, uh, have die be what the, you know, maker holders and die people want it to be and not have it always necessarily be a dollar if, uh, being a dollar adds too much risk. Yeah, I agree. Do you think people should have been alarmed earlier by the fact that so much of DAI is actually backed by USDC? Uh, do you think we should never have gotten to this point where it's like 80%? That's hard to say. I think Maker made the pragmatic decisions based on the information they had at the time. Uh, I think it would have been very hard for them to decide to not use the USDC and DAI uh, for, for the last couple of years. I think that uh, given the fact that we've gone and done this research, uh, you know, and, and, and sort of prove that you can have negative rates without destroying your whole system, uh, you know, rented and prod for almost two years, I think they're in a much better place to try and make this decision now. 
And and the, and to be clear, this, the thing is going to unroll over like several years. Rune is sort of only talking about it now to get people prepared for it. Uh, and we are excited about this because it means more people will learn about Rye, learn about the TRFM, learn about unpegged, you know, stable coins or controlled peg stable coins. Uh, and we can sort of migrate intellectually away from the barren wasteland of uh, dollar stablecoin dominance forever. Maybe if we zoom out a little bit. Um, so if you look at the demand um, for um, for DAI or for dollar denominated stablecoins in general. So when people are crypto long, there's always demand, right? So basically, but this kind of flips when people are, are crypto short, right? So they don't want to use crypto um, for collateral. So basically in in times like these where people generally tend to be crypto short. Um, do, do you think it's a, it's a bigger, uh, bigger problem to kind of to find people to mint die or to hold die? Um, I don't know. I mean, when, when crypto goes down, mo most of the stable coins that use debt leverage to back them will go down as well. Um, it seems prudent to be able to impose negative rates Uh, because more people are going to want to hold the stable coins than people are going to want to take down debt. You have a, a very basic supply and demand equation there. And so you have to balance it by having some sort of subsidy and incentive for the people who are minting and some sort of cost on the people who are holding. And so negative rates are the way you do that. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think it makes sense. I don't know what the... Like to zoom out again, right? Like, I don't think the end game forever is dollar denominated assets. Uh, I think that in time, crypto will probably make its own price indexes. Uh, in time, crypto will probably, you know, use some other standards besides, uh, you know, basket of fiat currencies or something. Um, for now, we use the USD reference for Rye because it's easy, it's liquid, you know, it's um, relatively, it's, you know, still today the most stable thing uh, that we can use as a reference. There are some plans, uh, not anything in motion right now, but things that we could potentially use to move off of the dollar if we wanted in, you know, over the course of 10 years or something, uh, if we wanted to switch to, you know, s some other reference asset. What kind of reference asset would that be? I mean, I mean, basically some sort of basket, but how would that be constructed? And don't you need governance for that again? Uh, yes. And that's why we haven't done it. Um, the, the <laughs> like, I don't really like that, that problem because it's messy and it deals with a lot of factors that are constantly in flux. Like, you know, I, when I said earlier, stability is in the eye of the holder, Brian, you were like, I want to hold something for five years and then come back. And it's like, fine. Well, you want it to be fine relative to the stuff that you want to buy in five years. Uh, so if you could give me an itemized list right now of everything that you want to buy in five years, you know, <laughs> like that's that's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, things change. You know, uh, we, we don't know exactly what the future will look like. We don't know what consumption will look like. Uh, and so there's sort of, you know, the, the, the idea of this reference basket index thing, you know, CPI, whatever, will sort of always have to be a governed process. Yeah, I mean, I think on a high level, right, I think what the tornado cash 
you know, this tornado cash sanctions, you know, I guess you, you can sort of interpret this in different ways, you know, maybe to some extent it's about like, I don't know, North Korea and preventing they get some money and stuff like that. But I think on another level, it's also just the government really not liking this crypto thing, right? And really not liking losing control, right? And basically saying like, okay, we're going to try to like crack down on this. And I think if you see something like Maker, and I mean, USDC is like such an obvious uh, avenue, right? So I think if that becomes something that's like, I mean, in the end, right? Like if, if you're going to have some stable coin that's supposed to be, you know, widely used by people and that's supposed to be actually like neutral and, you know, you can use it anonymously. You don't have to do KYC. You can use it across the world. That just doesn't go that you just cannot have USDC in there. This is not going to fly, right? Like it has to be actually decentralized. Yeah, I believe that. Um, I want to see more decentralized stable coins, um, more things that move away from USDC dominance. Uh, USDC is collateral. I mean, that's why actually, you know, people were uh, um, criticizing Terra a lot. And of course, that turned out to be correct in retrospective. But I always found that the, the criticism of, oh, it's not that decentralized, you know, compared to Maker made like no sense at all. Yeah, there's points of centralization wherever you look. Um, you know, the maker has oracles that are kind of centralized. Maker has the USDC collateral, right? Terra had, uh, I mean, the LFG fund was a multi-sig uh, that was supposed to be backing it. They didn't have any sort of like on-chain algorithmic backing. They just decided when to back it. And so there's all sorts of like information asymmetries. Like, hey, if you're close to them and you know that they're out of money, you should short the shit out of UST immediately, right? Like, uh, that's the kind of thing that, you know, we try to avoid in decentralized systems. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the better cr criticism of Terra was the one where Vitalik blogged about it and also mentioned Rai as an example, because he talked about how if your stable coin can't unwind in a like down market, like you were saying, you know, if ETH crashes, everything's going down. Like if your stable coin like can't unwind, it's basically a Ponzi scheme. Right. You're going to have some people sitting there at the end of it like, hello, I would like my money. I would, you know, I want to exit. Uh, and if they can't exit, then you, you know, didn't design your system to be very friendly to those people to exit, which, you know, systems that typically leave some people hanging are called Ponzi's. Do you think there is a future for, you know, algorithmic stable coins that are not backed or is this uh do you think it you're playing with fire right like you you can get shorted to zero you know even if you're 80 percent backed or 90 percent backed right the the window of opportunity is smaller but uh the, the risk is always present right even things like maker and rye could in theory become algo staples if some black swan event hits and they become you know undercapitalized uh you know uh, under collateralized then there's less money backing them than they're having debt uh, so they need to recruit people who believe in them. And if there aren't any, then, you know, some people are going to get a haircut. Uh, that's how the systems were designed. So they try to make the haircut process, you know, <laughs> transparent, fair, equal, right? Uh, it's not like you lose everything. Uh, it's like you might lose whatever 
uh, you know, went wrong, whatever degree of under collateralization you are is sort of shared by everybody. If it's 5%, for example, 10%. But that's a huge difference, right? I mean, basically having like an orderly shutdown, even if it means everyone gets like a 10% haircut, um, th that's completely different to the, the, the situation where the first, first person to cash out gets their entire money back and, you know, the, 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 the 20th person doesn't. So, I mean, this is, yeah. So I think this kind of, Yeah, so basically I'm totally with the order shutdown process. We really, uh, we fought a losing battle, uh, those of us who care, to try and not throw the algo stable term out with the bathwater, uh, you know, the because people are like, algo stable is a bad word now, right? And it's like, I used to call Rye a kind of algo stable. It's, you know, it has an algorithm that stabilizes it, uh, but now I can't. Uh, now we have to, you know, make sure that like all we can do is try to explain that the bad thing wasn't actually the algo. It was the under collateralized part uh, like Luna didn't hold the Luna like that you use to mint UST in a reserve somewhere. It wasn't a CDP. They lit it on fire. You know, they so there was no reserves. <laughs> the, the reserves was backed by the, you know, future printing against the Luna token and selling it. Uh, and so as soon as the Luna demand went to zero, the UST demand went to zero and the whole thing went to zero. So that's not great. Uh, having collateral in your system is uh, very helpful for protecting against systems like that. And we want the regulators and the public to know the difference. And so far that's, you know, meant retreating off of the algo stable hill and onto the over collateralized hill. So hopefully you guys can help with that narrative. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think obviously Terra went horribly wrong and UST went horribly wrong and it was like tragic how, you know, lots of people lost lots of money. Uh, it's just that if you look at the, I mean, Maker, right? Well, Maker struggled to scale more, uh, struggled more with scaling than UST. And the only way they actually got to scaling is by adding this like centralized, you know, basically USD coin to it, right? So if in, you know, I mean, you said yourself, right? Like probably they made, they had no choice but to make that decision, you know, it would have been hard to make, you know, to just have ETH and, you know, with Rai, you know, we're seeing, okay, it's very small, right? So like we really haven't seen anything get to any kind of scale, right? That's actually collateralized, uh, you know, with actual crypto assets. So I think that whole scaling issue is like, it feels like a big, big challenge. To me, maybe, I mean, maybe this would be super interesting to get your take on. To me, in large part, this feels like mainly an Oracle issue, because basically, if you had good price feeds for all kinds of assets, you could use them as collateral. Um, and I mean, this is this is the reason why we don't see more real world assets as collateral, because there's no good price feeds for them. So basically, if somehow you magically, you know, I could, you know, uh, wave my wand and kind of have a good price feed for all kinds of things, I feel like most of these problems would go away. Uh, I'll answer both questions. So um, on the one hand, Brian, you're correct. Uh, no well-designed decentralized stablecoin has scaled today, right? We could say Rise well-designed hasn't scaled. You could say Maker is well-designed until it scaled using USDC. 
<laughs> you could say, you know, USDC scale or USDT scale or UST scale Terra. Uh, but it wasn't poorly, it was poorly designed and then, you know, $50 billion in flames. So uh, I think the answer is it's still a work in progress. Uh, and Frederic, to your question of uh, what if we had lots of price feeds, you know, Maker was designed to, you know, include real world assets. Um, part of the challenge there is also liquidation, right? If I say I have a house and the housing market crashes, I use my house as collateral for a loan. Somehow you have to carry out some sort of on-chain liquidation process auction. Somehow you have to get the die, you know, back into the system. So there's there's complications there. And the hard part's always the paperwork uh, with, with any of these like real world interfaces. So <laughs> my solution is gonna sound really silly. Uh, my solution is ETH hits $75,000 uh, and then decentralized stable coins can scale. Uh, <laughs> right? It's like, maybe, maybe like we're still in the experiment running phase uh, of the decentralized stable coin part. Uh, maybe it's a good thing that they're, you know, sub hundred million dollars. <laughs> uh, maybe like if Rye was billions of dollars, I would actually be freaking out right now. Um you know, like any, any, uh, weaknesses of the system would be like, uh, much more apparent and, and risky. So, uh, I think it's important that we, I don't know, figure this stuff out, but like also realize that it's still pretty early. Uh, and as the collateral base grows, uh, and we have even stronger native assets, then it seems overwhelmingly likely that the stable coins will grow uh, proportionally too. I mean, usually we ask what's what's on the roadmap for the project. It looks that that like you know, together with your meetings, you kind of reduce your roadmap choices. So maybe I'll, I'll ask this the other way around. Do you do you guys plan to uh, to offer um, an out of the box white label solution for people to make their own versions of Rye with whatever collateral they want. Because I think this is something that lots of projects might actually use, right? Lots of DAOs, for instance, who have their own governance token and so on. It's not a plan to make the like fully white label, you know, out of the box thing. It's actually a little harder than you know, it seems. And also rallying people around assets uh, is like, you know, it might it might not make sense for like, you know, everybody to have every project to have their own stable coin. Maybe it does. I'm not sure. Um, I think our plan right now is to work with some, like groups that have the dev capacity to be able to fork the system and manage it themselves. And then we provide support and maybe, you know, get some tokens out of it or uh, have some sort of, you know, uh, partnership agreement or something, but, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a little bit too hard to go like full white label in like three years. Maybe it won't be, um, something I've, I've always said is that like the cost of deploying a sophisticated smart contract platform, you know, drops by a factor of 10 every year. So what that looked like was like 2018, it was like 10 of, you know, rocket science level solidity devs had to like make maker DAO from scratch over 18 months, you know? then like a small group of like four people in 2020 could do it. Right. And then like, you know, in a couple of years from now, it'll be like one guy just like deploys everything. Right. So that's where we're going. Um, I, I think uh, 
the tools that DAOs have reported wanting are things to like automatically manage vaults. Like for example, you know, if you want to leave something for five years uh, and come back, like maybe you don't want to hold Rye itself. You want to hold the like vault that automatically arbitrages Rye uh, given the market conditions, you know, and makes you money in the meantime. So people want things like that, like uh, urine, urine style tokenized vaults. Uh, it's a little bit tricky because we have to manage, you know, um, like debt and liquidation stuff. So uh, working on that. Also working on, we we did just roll out our like governance platform. I know we, we call it ungovernance, but it uses the compound Bravo and it works like all the other governances. The ungovernance is just the, the meme to make sure that, you know, we, we try to not uh, do too much governance things. Um, and then the last thing is that we are still researching and iterating on the controller with the goal of coming up with some sort of controller that we can lock in for a really long time without needing to change it. Um, that won't, of course, happen without running it in prod for a while, uh, maybe you know a couple of years with whatever we think is close to final. But we are talking about that. Um, encourage people to join our Discord uh, and uh, jump into the research channel, just publish some stuff about the controller, how it's working, how it could be updated. Yeah, we're, we're just trying to remove things, make it harder to change. Um, hopefully uh, also make it so that if one day the U.S. decides that I can no longer touch it because I'm a U.S. citizen, there's other people who can still touch it and make it run uh, and they don't live in the U.S. Cool. Well, thanks so much. I mean, there was a, there was a perfect like wrap up and summary at the end. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. That was really great. I'm uh, glad you're working on this. Uh, and I'm excited to see, you know, where, where Rye goes and where the idea of, you know, better, better decentralized, stable assets, uh, how that evolves in general. So thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to you guys about it. Cool. And thanks so much for our listeners for once again tuning in. If you want to support the show, make sure to leave us an iTunes review. Or uh, if remember the job post we have too. So if, if that's you, then get in touch. And we look forward to being back next week. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a Google Home or Alexa device, you can tell it to listen to the latest episode of the Epicenter podcast. Go to epicenter.tv slash subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter so you get new episodes in your inbox as they're released. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we're always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week.